So last week, took the family camping, took the kiddos camping, which we do pretty regularly, at least once a year with the kids. Uh, this year, my wife went with us for the first time, uh, which we were all really excited about. Um, she didn't just go with us for the first time. She went camping for the first time. Uh, she says that she has a good time. If you know her, you should double check and just let me know if she was lying to me. I don't think she was, but you never really know. Uh, and so, uh, we had a good old time together. It was fun, uh, really to watch the kids try and help her learn all the things that we know and do, right? So, uh, every time we get in the car and we head out, uh, we went to Jordan Lake. Um, the question I ask in the minivan is, you know, what's the first thing we're going to do when we get there? And all the kids say, get into a camping state of mind, a little sarcastically. But they know that's the first thing that we do when we get there. We've got to get into a camping state of mind. Devices down, tent up, camping state of mind. Um, We also practice many others, one of which is if we don't have it, and then everyone says, we don't need it. Because I know we forgot something. I was just preparing them for that reality. Um, well, we decided uh, this time around to add a new one uh, because uh, while we were all out there, the kids wanted to start the fire themselves. Uh, this would have been a first time doing that. And um, <laughs> I don't know, I've never taught them to start the fire, uh, but they really wanted to. Um, and the, the trouble with that is uh, they've seen me do it and I make it look easy because I am an expert fire starter. I've been starting fires for a long, long time cooking food uh, over a fire. And um, <clears throat> back in my younger days, I would always set myself the goal of being able to start the fire with just one match. It's like a sense of pride. Curious, if you're a fire starter yourself, do you use the uh, log cabin method or do you use the TP method? Be interested to hear. Um, in my olden days, however, older days, uh, I've, I've uh, uh, I don't know, lazier or wiser, Um, They sell this little attachment here uh, at Walmart and you can put it onto one of these guys, which you might recognize if you grew up camping. Um, And (laughs) Uh, I'm going to burn the microphone. Um, This is how I start fires now. Uh, So I make it look real easy, but of course that's not how you teach your kids. So the first night uh, I said, well, why don't y'all watch me tonight and you can learn for tomorrow night. Um, uh, so I said, I sent them to go get some, some firewood, uh, and they were lazy and didn't do that. And so we didn't have enough kindling really to get things started. We had just enough to kind of get the fire started. I tried to put some of the bigger logs that we brought from home on it, but eventually they, they died out. We had enough embers to like roast the marshmallows, but the kids wanted a big fire. Um, and when I wasn't paying attention, they threw a bunch of pine straw on it because it burns real hot. Uh, but what they did actually was just smother the remainder of the fire out. So lesson learned night one, night two, I sent them to go find firewood, hoping that they had learned the lesson from night one uh, and they didn't, um, but they knew we needed more. So they just took the sticks they found and broke them into smaller pieces, making it look like we had more kindling, which we did not. Anyway, they tried for a while. Uh, I had forgotten my device. They had an aim and flame and they used uh, pretty much everything. So we couldn't get any more flame out of it. Uh, and I thought, well, if this is going to work, I'm going to have one click to do it. So I, I did my system. I went back to my younger self days. I built a fire with one click. It was an amazing reality. Anyway, now we have a new saying. Now we have a new saying. If you want to start a raging fire, what do you say? You've got to have the right fuel. We're going to say this every time we go camping. If you want to start a raging fire, you got to have the right fuel. You can't be fuel. You can't be lazy and not find the little tiny sticks and twigs because that's what you start your fire with. So you can put your big logs on top of it. If you want to start a raging fire, you got to have the right fuel. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. 
uh, the last two weeks, we've been talking about uh, what it looks like for us to kind of shift our mindset from being consumers of God, of church, of worship, and how instead to flip the script there and to be consumed by God. We talked week one about uh, the transcendence and eminence of God, uh, God's transcendence, like God is vast and enormous, you know, more vast than the sea and the stars in the sky. Um, <clears throat> uh, God is holy and therefore other, but that this transcendent God desires to have an imminent or close and proximate relationship with us. This God who is vast knows us and loves us with a love that is more vast than the sea and the skies. Uh, I thought hope came back to that last week in some really beautiful ways. So if you're only going to listen to one sermon, listen to last week's. She took the ideas from week one and really challenged us in some beautiful ways uh, to think about the way in which we show up pretty much everywhere as a consumer, right? But to to really begin to think about how we show up, uh, particularly in worship, whether that's uh, congregational, like communal worship that we do together on uh, Sunday morning or here, um, but, uh, but really to think about uh, in our everyday lives how we might encounter the living God, right? To have an encounter with God. Um, so I'd encourage you to go back and check out both weeks, if not at least uh, last week for sure. Um, but uh, we've been, you know, like, what does it mean to be consumed by something? Uh, what does it mean to be consumed by something? Like, uh, they like, he consumed, he was so consumed by his video game that he failed to do his chores. Like we use that language a lot of times uh, to mean uh, that all of our attention, effort, or energy is focused in a particular direction, oftentimes ex- at the expense of other things. Um, and, and I think we mean that, uh, but in addition to that, like in a spiritual sense, uh, we mean to be like totally devoted to have deep passion and dedication and conviction to put our life and our work and ourselves in service of God's kingdom, um, entrusted fully, uh, to the authority of God at work in our lives. So what does it look like for us to be consumed by God? Interestingly, uh, the old and new Testament both talk about God. God's love for us, God's jealousy for us as an all-consuming fire. And I think it means jealousy, uh, not like the bad kind of jealousy, but like um, I've been robbed all week because of life and work and the kids of meaningful relationship time with my wife. And I've just been looking forward to Thursday night, date night with her, like that kind of jealousy, right? God's love for us, God's jealousy for us is an all-consuming fire, right? What does it look like for us to be consumed by the love of God. I've been thinking a lot about how uh, I want my life um, to be this kind of Holy Spirit-fueled, Holy Spirit-driven passion, um, my dedication, my desire, my conviction. Like, I want to have a raging fire of a relationship with God. I want that all-consuming fire. Like, I want to be able to feel it. Uh, I I want it to be palpable and personal also, honestly, I kind of want it to be easy, like uh, effortless. Like I just want it to happen. I just want it to happen. Uh, I can I can see it in other people, right? I can see when folks are like on fire, right? And I want that thing, but I don't always know how to get it. Uh, and the things that I try sometimes make it feel not as easily easy and effortless uh, as I want for it to be. Um, so I go back to this idea: if you if you want to start a raging fire, you got to have the right fuel. And the fuel of this fire uh, is is like spark, flame, wind, uh, right? The thing that kind of gets the fire going and it's kindling. And I think for us, we've got to remember that the, the spark, the flame, the ignition 
is is the Holy Spirit. That's the that's the work of Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, Holy Spirit is often talked about as flame, uh, again, all throughout Scripture, and as breath. This idea of like God's gentle breath blowing, uh, which is, you know, if you're going to start a fire, you're going to got to get down close to it and just whoo, give it some gentle breath. Um, not blow it out, but just fuel it, right? That's the work of the Spirit in our lives. But the kindling, right, the small sticks that sort of build everything up into a fire so that you can throw on your big logs, that fuel, I think, is our surrendered lives. Our surrendered lives. When we talk about being surrendered in like a non-military sort of way, we talk about the act of relinquishing control to another, right? An act of relinquishing control over our lives to God, um, to a, to a circumstance, uh, to an idea, like a change of heart or a change of mind that God has placed on us. Uh, it involves giving up our own will, our own desires, our own power, and accepting a, a different outcome because of the authority of God. In our context, I think it comes through trust. Trust is how we do that. Trusting that God's love for us um, is big enough uh, that we can trust it with trust God's love with our like control over over our lives. Jesus uh, brushes up against that um, in a passage. It's kind of a familiar passage. You may be familiar with it. Uh, it says, "Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me.'" For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? That's a big question. Or what would they give in return for their own life? I mean, Jesus is asking this question to, to his disciples. I think it's a fair question for him to ask us, right? Um, it, it also feels like a big question, uh, and it's really helpful for me to break it down. I don't want to suggest that like Jesus is offering here you know, Jesus is four steps for actively surrendering your life, but it kind of works out, right? Um, It's really helpful for me to break it down. He says, first, if any want to become my followers, uh, any, which means that it's open to all of us. Uh, It's not just something for some people. If any want to become my followers, he says, um, and then there's this idea of want to, this idea of desire. This isn't something that Jesus is foisting upon us, but this is an invitation for us to do it. Um, if you desire this, Jesus says, listen up. I'm going to tell you what it looks like, uh, how to get the thing that you desire. We also talk a lot about uh, around here about um, that even the desire to desire is a gift from God, the work of the Holy Spirit. And obviously we call it prevenient grace, the grace that comes before we know what we want. This desire to desire relationship with God. He says, if any want to become followers, any desire to become my followers. He says, let them deny themselves. Let them deny themselves. And and this, I believe, is the act of surrender. Offering over control. uh, Offering our will and way. Denying our will and way. Offering it over to the will and way of God. Um, And I I think this is where we begin and learn to trust. When we begin that work of self-offering. If let, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, he says here, and uh, Luke adds daily to take up their cross. And again, uh, just before this, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, be killed, and on the third day be raised. Like when Jesus says, take up their cross, like sometimes I think we use it as a euphemism. When we have to do something that's hard, we say, oh, it's just my cross to bear. Uh, but For them, for Jesus, to his disciples, this was a legit deal. Like a cross was a torture device used to punish political prisoners, notorious criminals um, by Rome to kind of remind everybody around, like, don't mess with us. So when Jesus says they have to deny themselves and take up their cross, 
I mean, this is a, they're going to lose their lives. Like it's a full surrender of your full life that Jesus is inviting them to. And then he says, uh, lastly, and follow me. Uh, let them surrender, let them uh, deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Um, which I think is a good and beautiful reminder that God's not inviting us to do something that God's not done God's self, right? This is not a place that we have to go, uh, that God has not been or is not. Uh, and this is not also, this is not something we have to do alone. If we're following Jesus, Jesus is there with us. Um, so I think it ends kind of with this reminder uh, of God's covenantal love with us is there with us as we, as we do this work. If we desire a raging fire of relationship with God, like this is what we have to do. We have to desire it. We have to learn to, to surrender, to deny ourselves, to, to subvert our will and way for the will and the way of God. We have to take up our cross. So we have to surrender not just a little bit of our lives, but our full lives and follow, follow God, trusting that God gives us life that is real life on the, on the other side of it. Like I, I get that. I can conceptualize that. I, I can even say I want that, but this feels enormous. It feels like the thing that I want to be easy and effortless. If I can just pray a prayer or get baptized in the right sort of way, then all of these things will be, will be true. I can see this raging fire at work in other people's lives and I can, I can want that. I just don't, I don't always know how to, I don't know always how to get there. And I am a person who loves to control things hypothetically, that is something I struggle with on a regular basis. Don't ask my siblings or my family. Um, so ceding control, like surrendering is not something that comes naturally or easily to me. Maybe it does to you. I, I don't know. Uh, I suspect it's something that's, uh, is hard for, for all of us. Um, if we want to gain our life, we have to lose it. I understand and appreciate that. I believe that that is true and right and good. Um, my question is just, uh, how to get there feels not to overplay the metaphor, but it feels like throwing giant logs on the fire and just hoping that it catches. Um, what I may want to encourage us to consider today um, is that if, well, first of all, if your fire is already rocking and rolling, like throw more logs on it, go, go right for that. If you're in a big log place in your life, you just hurl those things on, have at it. Uh, give us something to hope for and to look forward to, like give us an image of what that kind of life can look like uh, to invite the rest of us along. But if that's not quite where you are yet, uh, if you feel like that's something that you want, but you don't know how to get, I want us to remember together today that when you're building a fire, you've got to start with the small stuff. When you're building a fire, if you want a big raging fire, when you're building a fire, you've got to start with the small stuff. If we cannot trust God with the little things, it's going to be awfully hard for us to trust God with the big things. If we can't surrender the little parts and pieces of our life, we're never going to be able to surrender the big parts. And I feel like sometimes that's exactly where we find ourselves uh, in a hospital room or wherever it might be. Like, I'm just going to give this to God. Well, that's an awfully hard thing to do if you haven't been practicing uh, all along. I want to end, and I know we're running short of time, but I want to end with uh, just two images to leave you with, uh, give you something else a little bit to chew on. Uh, the first is uh, what I sometimes call the Homer Simpson loophole, uh, or more theologically, maybe I should call it the not my will, but yours be done caveat. This is when we're praying, and we uh, we tell God all of the, all of the things. Uh, Dear God, here are all of the things that I have done and am actively doing to deal with this problem in my life. Uh, oh, gracious God, here are all the ways that I think it ought to be solved. And so, um, uh, Almighty God, this is what I am asking you specifically to do in this case, uh, because I've already worked it out in my own imagination, and I trust that this is the very best for me and for everybody else. And then before we say amen, we open one eye and we say, 
Uh, but not my will, but your will be done. It's like we had to offer the caveat. Now, I call it the Homer Simpson loophole because in an episode of The Simpsons, and I recognize that I'm dating myself here, uh, Homer Simpson wants to eat this chocolate chip cookie, uh, but for whatever reason, he's not supposed to. So he gets down at his bed and he prays and he says to God, God, if you want for me to eat this cookie, give me no sign. He opens his eye. There is no bolt of lightning. And so he quickly eats the cookie. And I feel like that's basically what we're doing when we say this. I'm not saying you cannot say those words earnestly. And I'm surely not suggesting that you shouldn't say those words earnestly. Uh, But sometimes I feel like we give God our will in our way. We ask God to bless it. And then as like a backstop to that, we say, well, but not my will, but yours be done. And then a day from now, when all that's worked out, we assume that our will and way must have been God's will and God's way because it worked out. God's will was done. It's just a way of like covering over uh, the real work of surrendering. The real work of saying, not my will, but yours be done, O Lord. So um, again, uh, we end up saying we surrendered, but we actually ceded nothing in the process. We found a loophole uh, in short. Uh, The second image I'd like to offer you to chew on. Uh, I've been like remembering bits and pieces of this old preacher story uh, that I heard when I was a kid. Uh, And I went to Google because, you know, you can. uh, And I Googled just to try and see if I could find the story or figure out if there was any truth behind it. And it turns out it's a true story. Um, There's a guy named Sam Houston in Texas, uh, which is actually where Houston, the name of the city, gets its name. Um, And this guy was like a larger than life character, frontiersman, cowboy, uh, larger than life politician, like reputation preceded him um, and uh, mover and shaker. Uh, uh, 1800s. So like long ago, right? Um, And his second marriage in his 60s was to a woman who was a devout Baptist. And uh, through his love for her and her love for him, his life was changed. And he got to a point where he wanted to surrender his whole life to God. And so he chose to be baptized. And this was like such a big deal that this dude in his 60s would be baptized. There was like newspaper reporters there. Hundreds of people gathered from the community just to see if it actually happened. Um, Originally, they were going to do it like a font, but some kids in the community apparently threw a bunch of mud into it. I don't know if they're like early day activists or what, but uh, they ended up walking down to the stream uh, for, in a place where they normally do baptisms. And uh, on his way into the water, the pastor says to him, hey, you still have your pocket watch on. Um, and you don't want that to get broken. So he took it off and handed it to his friend um, so it wouldn't get messed up. And his friend, as he was taking it, said to Sam Houston, you know, do you also want to give me your wallet? And Sam Houston said, no, I reckon that ought to be baptized too. Um, So I assume that this is a story that was told during a generosity series. Uh, I'll come back to it later. I guess that's not what we're actually doing uh, together today. But um, I love that image, right? Uh, And to me, it like it validates the authenticity of of the baptism that he was seeking because he didn't just want his whole life to be in service of God. Like he recognized that surrendering was going to cost him something, right? Uh, In his wallet. Um, And I was reflecting on that and just wondering like what I would leave in my pockets if I were participating like he was in a baptism today. Uh, And I found myself wondering, like, would I leave my phone in my pocket? I do not want to buy a new phone. uh, Too frugal for that. But uh, that phone carries um, my calendar, my work, all my emails, uh, all my contacts, all my social media news sort of relations, all my banking apps, my retirement calculator. Like, it carries all that stuff. Would I be willing to surrender those things? It was just, I don't know. I found it to be a really helpful question for me to ask myself. Like, what would I, in fact, 
want to take out of my pocket so that it didn't have to be baptized. It didn't have to be surrendered. It didn't have to be consumed by the water, right, of God's redeeming love. Uh, Side note, uh, when he came out of the water, the pastor congratulated him and said, now all your sins have been washed away. And he asked uh, everyone who was gathered there to pray for the fish downstream, which I think was clever. All right. If you want to start a raging fire, you've got to have the right fuel. The fuel for us is the fire, the ignition, the spark of the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. That's not ours. That's God's. We trust God to do that work. What the fuel is, the work of the fuel that is ours is uh, our surrendered lives, right? Um, And if we are not to a place where we can throw logs on the fire yet, uh, we got to remember to start with with the small stuff. Um, So uh, blessings on you this week as you work on surrendering the small stuff to God until all of our lives and all of our church is a raging fire, a white hot fire of God's love uh, for us and for uh, our community. Blessings on you. Well, it's been great to worship with you together during this time. Uh, We'd love to invite you to come and join us for worship in person or online, live on Sunday mornings or throughout the week. You can find more information about our worship times or worship with us online at fbumc.org. And while you're there, uh, you can find plenty of ways to connect with us, uh, whether that's uh, connecting in sort of an opportunity for community around here or serving the greater Fuquay community around us. Uh, So we'd love to invite you to join us for those. If this is a resource that provides you spiritual sustenance and you'd like to partner with us in making it possible for everyone else, while you're there, at the top right-hand corner, there's a button that says Give, or you can go to fvumc.org slash give and make a gift there that makes the mission and ministry of this place possible. We're so thankful for everyone who partners with us uh, to do just that. Listen, it's been great. It's been great to be together with you uh, in this moment, and we look forward to worshiping again with you real soon. We'll see you then.